Well, hello. We welcome you back to this study of the book of Revelation, and we're going to conclude today in this study. Um, and we're in chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Let's review a little bit about this book, <clears throat> excuse me, and its, um, its themes and its lessons. We begin, really, in Ephesians, talking about our identity in Christ, who we are because of who he is, that we are, um, we are let in on some family secrets. We are adopted into a family. We are brought into union with Christ, thus with God, and thus with one another. And we carry through there Paul writing about how, how Christ has brought us back from the dead, has revived us, has given us life, uh, has, has brought us again into union with God and with one another. Paul talks some about his role, his um, task of sharing the gospel in chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, we begin to talk about our unity together. How are we transformed by Jesus Christ? And what does that mean for how we live, how we treat one another, the choices we make? Chapters 4 and 5 deal with this. And then Paul brings this point back full circle to talk about our relationship to Christ and what that's like. He tries to make a, a, a metaphor or a simile here with different relationships. And so he talks about marriage and that this relationship with, with Christ is like marriage and how husbands and wives take care of one another. And while he's making a spiritual point about the roles of husbands and wives, uh, it also makes a very good um, marital point about how we should treat one another. And he goes on from there to say, you know, in all other relationships, he talks about children, talks about slaves and masters. We mentioned that in the last lesson that, boy, that seems, that seems a little troubling. But if you look at the purpose of what he's saying and consider the context of what he's saying, um, we understand that we don't condone slavery today. He lived in a world where it was accepted. We live in a world where there are things that are accepted that hundreds, maybe thousands of years from now will not be accepted. And we have to understand that in this context and in his context and in future contexts, the truth of the matter is that we're called to live as Christians first. And if you find yourself subjugated to someone else or if you find yourself over someone else, or whatever position you find yourself socioeconomically or, 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 or anything like that, you are called to serve God, and you are called to do so with the best you have. And you should serve those around you with the best you have so that the reputation of God won't be, won't be uh, judged. And so whether you find yourself high on the food chain or low on the food chain, you have an obligation to serve God and also an obligation to serve your fellow Christians uh, because we're united, and Paul says, hey, um, you know, husbands and wives, you know, husbands should be protectors and defenders, willing to lay down their life, just like Jesus is for the church. Wives should be loving. Wives should be, um, sh should, should uh, recognize and, and, and offer respect to the husband, just as the church does to Christ. And um, there's no domineering. There's no uh, bossiness there, there is a mutual love and respect uh, while each seeks to fulfill the, the duties that Christ demonstrates with the church. And fathers, be good to your kids, and kids, honor your parents. 
these are how Christian people in these roles are to behave. And slaves, if you find yourself a slave, work hard, give your best, be known as the best among your peers because they'll know you're a Christian and that will say something to them. And if, if you, you're a master, be a Christian one. Uh, live in the context you're in, but do so as a Christian and uh, treat, treat others with, with kindness, gentleness, uh, demonstrate Christ to them. And remember that if a master and a slave are Christians, they have a relationship that supersedes that of the culture. They are brethren first, and then slave and master. Now that brings us to verse 10 of chapter 6. So this, this whole book is really about identity, who we are, and how we're made that way. And it's Jesus Christ that transforms us. It's the love of God through his Son that changes who we are, that puts us into a relationship with one another and with God. And we live that out. We, we work through that. Uh, it changes how we live. Verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, so we're drawing to the end here. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces <clears throat> excuse me, of wickedness in the heavenly places. Written uh, to a place uh, in a time that was dangerous. Ephesus is mentioned in the book of Revelation, and if you've watched our Revelation series, and I encourage you to do so, you will see in the book of Revelation a letter that is written to the church in Ephesus. And I'll go into more detail in that video about Ephesus, uh, but I encourage you to find that one on our website and, and, and take a look. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. It was a port city. It was a large city. Um, there was a lot of paganism, a lot of worship of other religions, a lot of perversion of the gospel. Um, a lot of people who felt they were liberated from the law and engaged in uh, deviant behavior, calling it worship. Uh, Ephesus was a hard place to be a Christian. But it was also part of Rome, which was even harder, because now... These Christians are living through emperors like Tiberius and Caligula and Nero uh, in this first century. It is very hard to be a Christian. It is very hard to be a Christian, especially in Ephesus. And Ephesus gets a lot of attention, by the way, in the New Testament because you have a, a letter written to the church in Ephesus. You have the mention of the book of Revelation, and then you have First and Second Timothy, which are letters addressed to a minister, Paul's protege, who is in Ephesus. So there's a lot going on in Ephesus. And, uh, and it's, a, it's, it's clearly a challenging place. And Paul is saying, you're going to have to be tough. You're going to to be, you're gonna have to be suited up to, to meet the challenges, the spiritual warfare. Now, he wasn't talking about the physical challenges and dangers that await them because of Rome or because of of other forces, he's talking about spiritually. Um, we face threats in different parts of the world. I mean, the United States, it may not be popular to be a person of faith sometimes, but it's certainly not illegal, at least not yet. And it's, it's something we take for granted that in parts of this world, it's, 
don't have the freedom to worship. You don't have the freedom to believe uh, something. And in many ways, that, that was true here. And Jesus is saying that, or excuse me, Paul is saying that you, you have to meet the challenge of the spiritual war going on. Forget Caesar. Forget the forces of evil in this world. Um, there's a spiritual battle going on. We're not alone in this world. We're not alone in this universe. Uh, and there are things out there that are going to try to hurt us. And God sends an army. Jesus leads an army to a victory. And the victory is won. The battle is over. But we must endure in this world uh, and, and continue to overcome. And you've got to be well suited for that. And so Paul says, using this analogy about armor, you've got to put on this full armor. And he's, he said, I'm not talking about physical armor to go to war with Rome. I'm not talking about rebellion. I'm talking about the, the, the forces of darkness, the forces of evil against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. You put on that full armor. It's He doesn't talk about it as an offensive weapon. This is not offensive. This is defensive. If you'll notice that, he says to, uh, to take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist, so that you'll be able to withstand, and having done everything, stand firm. Verse 14, stand firm, therefore having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So he goes through the parts of the armor and talks about what they, what they do. Almost all of it is defensive. You want your feet fitted with preparation of the gospel. The knowledge of the story of Jesus Christ makes you fit to move, to walk, to stand. You want to have your breastplate of righteousness. You protect your most vital parts by living a life of obedience. You protect yourself from the vulnerability of the heart. You, you want to have a belt of truth, right? That's going to hold everything up. You want to have the truth being the anchor of everything. And the only thing... We have the shield of faith, so our faith, our faith blocks the attack, but there's only one item here that's offensive or could be considered offensive, and that's a sword. And that sword is the Word of God. Now, there are many times we talk about the Word of God in Scripture, and sometimes it refers to Jesus, and sometimes it refers to the message of God that comes through Scripture. We have to understand that when this was written, this wasn't like he was... It wasn't like all the rest of this was already there and, and all in this book form. This was all put together much later. But it was considered, uh, there, there were already items being passed around that were considered to be scripture and considered to be very important. So this letter here mentions that uh, the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the influence of the Holy Spirit, we have uh, a message that we can take with us and we can use for defense and we can also use for offense. We have this, and, and by the way, the sword 
boy, what imagery that is throughout throughout Scripture. The the, the double-edged sword that, that Paul writes about in Romans. Uh, here, the, the word is a sword. Uh, in Revelation, again, you'll see Jesus depicted as having a sword coming out of his mouth. That double-edged sword, the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. That's in Romans. Then you have the sword of, of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Then in Revelation... Uh, you have multiple places where Jesus is depicted with a sword coming out of his mouth. It's his tongue. It's the word of God, sharper than a double-edged sword. Consistent imagery to let us know that this is a penetrating thing. This is a defensive thing. This is an offensive thing. This is the kind of thing that brings about the culmination of a conflict. This is the kind of thing that puts people on notice. This is the kind of thing that, as Paul writes, divides joint and marrow, soul and spirit. It's able to cut quickly to the core of the issue, cut directly to the heart, slice with precision and accuracy. There is nothing that penetrates more deeply and more truly than the Word of God. Verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says don't stop praying, always be praying, and be alert. We want to we have, have our head on a swivel. We, wanna, we want, you know, God doesn't, we, when we talk about faith, when the, when the Bible talks about um, putting our trust in the Lord, he doesn't do that at the expense of using the brain he gave you. That's very important. Uh, we are to be cautious. We are to be attentive. We are to be smart. Uh, the Bible says wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. We're to be smart. We're to observe a situation and react to it. There's a certain way that God has prepared us and designed us to react and a certain way he wants his people to react. But he says here, be alert, be ready, be smart. Stay alive and keep preaching the gospel. And Paul says, I want you to pray for me so that I can open my mouth so that when I have the chance to speak, I can speak words of truth. I can speak the way I ought to speak. Verse 21, but that you also may know about my circumstances, I am, uh, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. So he says, I want you to pray for me. I'm in prison. I want to be able to proclaim the gospel. Pray that I'll have the words to do so and the opportunity to do so. Now, I want you to know what's going on with me, so I'm sending someone to tell you how I'm doing. His name is Tychicus. So Tychicus is, is perhaps the carrier of this letter, almost certainly the carrier. Remember, they didn't have a postal service. You wrote something, you wrote it down on vellum or papyrus, uh, you prepared it, you sent it off with someone on a journey, and they took it. So this is coming from Rome, presumably, uh, to Ephesus. Quite a journey. Uh, it's taken there by this man Tychicus, and he is going to not only read the letter and see to it that the letter is maybe copied, and distributed amongst the Christians there, but he's also going to bring word of Paul's condition and, and tell them about what, what it's like there. Uh, verse 22, I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. 
Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Isn't the Bible just saturated with love? Isn't it amazing we can go from talking about having to put on armor to withstand the attacks and the spiritual warfare, and we end with the word love. Love wins. It does. It defeats the evil in this world. It overcomes prison. It overcomes the conflict within the church and within our world. It overcomes the sin that destroys us. It overcomes the brokenness of relationships. Love truly wins. Well, that's Ephesians. That's Ephesians. That's who we are. That's our identity. It's found in Christ. We're special. We're different. We're called and chosen and cleansed, sanctified for him and to be in his presence. And that should change the way we see the world. It should change the way we live. Uh, Many people experience different things in life and it changes their outlook. If you've ever experienced anything traumatic or um, a near-death experience or maybe you almost lost a loved one, it changes your perspective. It changes the way you see things and it changes maybe the way you, the choices you make, right? So let the gospel of Jesus Christ change how you live. Let it change your identity and how you see yourself and let it affect how you treat one another with love. That's who we are. That's what we are. We'll see you next time.